In today's episode, we're going to answer a listener question about the Holy Spirit. This episode actually went kind of long. We got some good discussion, and so we've broken into two parts. Here is part one. Thank you. I, years ago, I had to take a lot of chemistry classes, and I and I, it helped my faith because as I'd see these interactions of molecules and electrons and all these things, we'd learn about it, and as much as men were able to study and understand, it just increased my testimony of God that only only a magnificent creator could have conceived of something like this. How could it just have happened? But what's interesting is that even on a chemical level, to take chemistry of any type of chemistry, which most people don't even want to discuss, they just eh, they don't enjoy that subject, something important happens. Every time two atoms interact, there's a, there's a physical change and there's an electrical change. There's an energy change. So there's, so there's something that happens with the physical aspect of it and there's something that happens with the energy and, and, and it always goes together. There's got to be both. Uh, you know, if, if two atoms form and make a new molecule or whatever, there was a physical connection and there was an electrical and, uh, energy connection. There's a parallel, I think, in even our baptism. And this is this record of heaven entering into us. There's this physical connection in water baptism and everything it represents, the death, the life, the rebirth, all that, the water even of, of birth. But we can't forget, it's just like in chemistry, it can't happen only with a physical connection. It's got to happen with the electrical connection. There's got to be the energy change. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Um, little housekeeping, Corey has got a link on restoredgospel.com for the podcast, and we hope to have a little more um, outlines, study guides, uh, notes that go along with each podcast, and so there'll be a link in our show notes. You can just go there, and you'll see a listing of the podcast numbers. Click on that, and you can see any notes or anything we have, and and really today, I think, <clears throat> is going to be a good one. Corey, you got some stuff. We had a listener. Yeah, we'll have notes today, in fact. We had a listener question about the Holy Spirit, uh, a new listener. We welcome welcome that person to the podcast. Uh, she asked about the Holy Spirit and what was the what was the question? Yeah, let's let's uh, let me pull it up here and we'll just read it. Corey, talk for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I I know the question, and Mike and I we haven't really even had a conversation about this yet, so I'm I'm anxious for us to get into it. I I will say up front to everyone, 
and I should probably say this all the time, is that, you know, we don't consider ourselves experts in uh, theology. I mean, we, we feel like we love the Lord and his word and are passionate about it, and, and we're seeking too. Um, but from our knowledge and experience, we speak. So when we uh, talk about these topics, I can't ever say that, you know, we're what we're saying is definitive or necessarily the final word, but I hope you enjoy listening to us discuss this conversation about the Holy ghost and the Holy spirit. And what is, what is the difference? What is the same? Well, I can't find the uh, text, but I I can find it. You texted it to me. Oh, perfect. All right. Give me just, now you talk, Mike. Oh, if I sent it to you, then I copied it. Yeah. So I will be. You had to, of course I've got 200 texts from you since then. So, but I, but I've got it. All right, go ahead. All right. So a uh, listener says this, and this was just the other day. I've, found, I've just found your podcast, thank you very much, and have listened to four or five episodes. I've really enjoyed your discussions. Something, and, you know, she doesn't say that she heard Mike was eye candy. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's why, that's what drew her in, right? Right. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> Something you said got me to thinking, and I wanted to ask you this question. In the Restored Faith Movement, we say that baptism slash confirmation is when we receive the Holy Spirit. Does that mean if you are baptized but not confirmed, then the Holy Spirit is not present with you? Would like to hear a discussion about receiving the Spirit. Keep up the good work. That is the question. Great. Well, we'll talk about that today. What you got, Corey? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, that's a that's an engaging question, and it could probably go in a lot of directions. One of the things I, I want to do up front is say this. We we intermingle words sometimes, and the words right now would be Holy Spirit and gift of the Holy Ghost. And what I'm wanting to start out with is just saying, hey, are they the same thing or not, right? And um, where... I, I could I could kind of just throw out my opinion on this, and maybe I'll just do it right now, is that there's a difference in Scripture between what Scripture says is God's Spirit and what specifically is called the gift of the Holy Ghost or that thing that we associate with with baptism. But but they are they the same as well? And so there's a lot of good scriptures, a lot of actually good even stories in the in the Bible and the Book of Mormon that address this. So uh, what do you say we jump in, Mike? Yeah, and and I said the quick answer was no. I I I do believe absolutely that people have the spirit of God working with them, um, you know, in their hearts and their minds prior to being baptized. That's uh, evident in so many people that I listen to that are preachers that are not of the restored faith that I think I don't know how they would come to that truth without the Holy Spirit guiding them. Um, And so I think absolutely. Now, there must be a special thing that happens when you have the hands laid on your head that we believe. But also, Corey, many examples in the scriptures of men coming to Christ or coming to know God that perhaps weren't even baptized yet or having the Spirit fall on them. And um, and anybody that comes to that point of being baptized had to be drawn there by God himself through his Spirit or they wouldn't even have the desire to do so, right? They would be following wickedness and, and evilness. So it has to be the Spirit of God leading them even to that point to desire baptism. It says the first fruits of repentance 
The very first thing you do if you want to repent and follow the Lord is to be baptized. And certainly you wouldn't come to that point if the Spirit wasn't uh, working within you to, to bring you to that point. So I absolutely believe that they do. All right. So then this can go in a lot of different directions. But what I'd like to do is just take us back to a couple fundamental scriptures. And the one, if if I read it from the Book of Mormon, it might surprise some people, and it might even cause people to say, yeah, is that right? And I, I want to just read it first and then talk about it. But then I want to compare it to a scripture in the Bible that's a little more familiar and show that maybe they're saying the same thing. Um, in the end of the Book of Mormon, and our references will be from the RLDS version, uh, Moroni chapter 7, verse 14, um, Moroni's concluding his remarks, and the Book of Mormon is about to be sealed up. I mean, it's the last of his writings. But he makes this statement, and uh, Moroni 7.14 says, For behold, the Spirit of Christ is given to every man. Now, this is just right there. The Spirit of Christ is given to every man. You know, some people might raise their hand and say, Hey, that how can that be? You know, how can everyone have the Spirit of Christ? Because don't isn't that what you you're getting when you get baptized and we receive the Holy Ghost. Um, and by the way, I'll say this, I'm not such a fan of the word confirmation because for my, from my view, and this is just something I've kind of grown into. I always heard it growing up that, Hey, you get baptized and confirmed into the church and everything. But, but what I realize is maybe even the word took away from the greater meaning of what it means to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it's it made it more a, an act of making your membership valid in an organization versus no, the gift of the Holy Ghost is something of God to to change you, all right? And we'll get there. But 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 backing up to the scripture, so the behold, the spirit of Christ is given to every man. Um what do you think, Mike? I mean, do you think people would agree with that statement? I mean, it, it sounds kind of like it could be controversial. The Spirit of Christ is given to every man? I No, I, I believe that. I think it's very... <clears throat> everything exists within God anyway. If, if this... Yeah, we could go in a lot of directions. I, I, we're, we're upheld by the, by the Spirit of God or His power... And we stumble for words again. We can say spirit or ghost or spirit of God or energy of God or thoughts of God. You know, what does that all mean anyway? But but God's power, if, if God ceased to exist, we would all fall apart and die. I mean, even within our smallest DNA and cells, there's light and things working that it comes directly from God. We're guided by him. And I believe when men become sons of perdition— when they uh, completely give in to the dark side, I guess, to say the um, is when they no longer have God's Spirit guiding them. They've rejected it to the point that God has nothing left, you know, there's nothing left within that person for God to hold on to, to reach, to bring back to Him. And that really goes into the philosophy of grace and works, and, and I think our church has been really works-oriented, um, another debate we've discussed, but it's not about, it's God reaching out to us and pulling us in. Jesus is doing that work. He's, he's coming to us by his spirit. He's constantly engaging us, pulling us to him. And it's our job to submit and to do that. If we think we can come to God on our own power, then we're mistaken. It starts with him. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He begins that journey with us. So 
Yeah, we even people that have never heard his name, I believe, have a sense of a creator or right and wrong or or good and evil in different cultures that have never even heard the name of Jesus. Well, so that's exactly where the Book of Mormon goes with this, because you know, for some people, they might say, "Well, how can you say the spirit of Christ was in?" Hitler, or, you know, how can mm-hmm. you say the spirit of Christ was within, you know, bin Laden or, or people who've committed, you know, awful crimes. But what the, what the Book of Mormon does, even though it makes this statement so boldly, because it's like, you think, well, the spirit of Christ is only going to be in people who acknowledge Christ in his ways. But remember also the Book of Mormon teaches an important principle that the spirit of Christ and the spirit of God are the same thing. So I want to come back to the Book of Mormon, but I want to flip over to a scripture that's probably for most people, it's going to be much more familiar, and it's saying the same thing. But it's way back, you know, not in Moroni, the end of his story, but it's in the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible. And uh, if you if you read it from the inspired version, it says, "And I, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, mm-hmm. and man became a living soul." And and so and if you read it from the King James, it says the same, but it just doesn't do it in first person. It says the Lord formed God from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. But in this, there's a there's a precedent set now that the fact that life exists at all is that God took basically <clears throat> inanimate, you know, molecules, the physical aspect of something created in a magnificent form from literally dust of the earth into something that maybe physically resembles the the body that God inhabits. But then the amazing part was when he, it says, breathed life into his nostrils. Now, I'm not going to go into the Hebrew part of that. There's a lot of interesting things of just the meaning of the words there. I don't want to get lost in that. But the fact is it sets this precedent that God did that not just for the first man, but for every man, that every person's life, it's just what you said, has existence because it's that essence of God, that breath of life in us from him that makes us who we are. So it's it's the reason we exist. It's the reason we can think and, and breathe and have dreams and all these things is because that's God's life in us. You know, it's not just something that happened or evolved. And, and so taking this idea that God breathed life into Adam, which is something that every Christian kind of hears from the story of of uh, creation, is also very congruent with Moroni's words where he says, the spirit of Christ is given to every man. But what, what Moroni adds, and this is where it's interesting, it goes back to exactly what you said, Mike, and, and you know, once again, we haven't really talked about this ahead of time, but I think we're on the same wavelength. It adds this phrase to it, and then it expands. The Spirit of Christ is giving to every man that they may know good from evil. And so when you consider this, that God's Spirit wasn't given, um, I mean, just for the life-bearing aspect, but for the fact that in all of us there's a basic fundamental, you know, it's a foundation, rather, of, of judgment, the ability to judge that comes from God to know good from evil. And because then it says after this, you know, after it says the spirit of Christ is given to every man that you can know good from evil, wherefore I show you the way to judge. And then it says something that almost seems too simple. Everything that invites to do good and to persuade to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Then the next verse says, therefore you can know with a perfect knowledge it is of God, but whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do evil and believe not in Christ, and deny him, 
and serve not God, then you may know with a perfect knowledge it is of the devil. So we got a perfect Hebrew parallel here. You know, knowing how what is good leads you to do good, knowing what is evil leads you to do evil. And and so the point is, God says in his word to us that I've placed this basic ability to judge within everyone. Now the point goes back to something we've talked about in recent podcasts, this opposition in all things. God said, I created this world and this opposition in all things means that there's going to be good forces working against evil, evil forces working against good. But I placed man in the middle and it says he made us to be able to act and not to be acted upon. In other words, to make judgment about the good and evil. And and so the the life we live is one where we can yield to the good things or we can give way to the bad things, right? It's always coming back to our choice. And that ability to choose and that ability to have a basic sense of right and wrong, he says is inborn in us. I mean, to someone who's got normal capacity, let's let's leave it at that. But it's interesting what else is inborn in us. You know, <laughs> consider if you had like two um, three-year-olds and you have them sitting side by side and then, you know, you bring out from your pocket a, a brand new sucker and you hold this sucker up to them, you know, piece of candy, um, and you've got <clears throat> one sucker and these two three-year-olds' eyes are fixed on it. And and then you hand the sucker to one child and the other child doesn't get a sucker. What's the other child going to do? He's going to want to take it from the other person. He's going to take it well, or he's just going to sit there and cry, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he's going to, because without being able to read or write or st- even study you know, the the concept of fairness, for instance, something told that other child, this isn't fair, you know, no one, no one had to say, hey, I'm going to do something unfair to you. Let me explain what unfairness means. No, built in with this other child was this feeling like I didn't get one and he did or she did, right? And so these feelings we have like that, I think all come from the same source. We're, we're given an idea of fairness, whether we are fair or not. Uh, And then we can do things in our life that jade us against these things and just make us, you know, uh, numb to being fair. And then you get dictators in the world and people, right, you know, who just uh, abuse nations for their own benefit, right? You know, you don't have to look too far to North Korea and see leaders who have gotten so wrapped up in their own idea of self that they, they forget what it is to be fair and just and honest. But yet, it's for this reason, and this is this kind of point I want to work up to, God had to do this. He had to give us this ability to choose, which came by the presence of his spirit in all of us, whether we acknowledge him or not, for this reason, so that we can rightfully be judged when we stand before him one day, right? Because how how could a judgment be just if he didn't say, hey, I, I gave within you the ability to make a good choice and you chose bad things, right? I mean, so so this all comes back to to me to say, of course, God's spirit has to be in everyone, it gives us life, but even along with that, it gives us the ability to judge, and it's for our judgments that we will be brought into judgment someday, right? And that's that kind of brings us back to this question. So what about the Spirit of Christ? Is it with someone who has been baptized but not you know, laid on hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost? Now, that, to me, brings up a whole different subject. But what are your, what are your thoughts, Mike? Well, I like your analogy of the very young, you know, toddler sitting there with a sucker. In Genesis, it says, um, 
The Lord spake unto Adam, saying, Inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin, you know, born to, to parents that have fallen, you know, even so when they begin to grow up, sin conceiveth in their hearts. And they taste the bitter that they may know to prize the good. Mm. So <clears throat> as they grow up, what does that mean? Sin conceiveth in their hearts. Sin is is a seed is there. It, 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 it takes root. It begins to grow just like the baby was conceived by the parents in a fallen world. This sin is conceived in the heart of man, and it begins to grow. Would would God would that be fair to allow sin to grow in the heart of man without having an opposite uh, the spirit of Christ also be you know being available to the heart of man to persuade him so that he may know the bitter but also know the good and have that ability to choose. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thought I had. The other thought is the beautiful fullness of the gospel that we believe. And we say, how can God judge people, you know, or, or how can people go to hell that never knew the name of Jesus? Well, they still knew what, like you said, had an idea of fairness and right and wrong by the Spirit of Christ, even though they may not recognize it as being Christ. That we know in the fullness of God of the gospel, when you die, that there's a temporary judgment, so to speak, where you either go to the prison house or you go to paradise. And and that these people that uh, responded to the good have an ability to go and learn more. And um, and they're not just sentenced to heaven or hell for eternity. And that's the beauty of the fullness of the gospel, is that when people die that haven't had a chance to know the fullness, to know Jesus and everything that he did for man, that they have that ability on the other side of the veil so that it is fair for everyone. And that's 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 beautiful. Now, whether they need to be baptized or whatever on the other side of the veil, I don't I don't know. Um, certainly, if if you have the chance in this life to respond and know that, then you need to be baptized. But that's that's <clears throat> that's my thoughts when as you were talking. Um, but yeah, now now we're talking about the actual event where hands are laid on your head and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So. What is that about, Corey? What's the purpose of that, then, if we already have the Spirit of Christ in us? Why do <laughs> that, we need the hands laid on our head? That is the the best question, and, and really, that is one worthy of, of answering. And so um, this is what, if it hasn't confronted everyone in Christianity, it really should, because the, the bottom line is, there, there is something else yet. It, it's, it's beyond just God breathing in life and giving us judgment. This life is this probationary time, right, where we're based on our judgment to make choices to do good or, or, or evil. But God says, and this is his power to help us overcome evil, I'm going to give you another comforter, right? I'm going to give you a, a special presence of my spirit. And this is what is required to help change us. This this knowledge of good and evil is one thing, but God says, no, but your heart must change, right? And again, as you brought out, Mike, uh, many times, is that we don't bring anything to the table, I mean, inborn in us that can make us good and right. I mean, it all, it all kind of comes from God. It's It's with his help, right? We don't have this magic ability to just become perfect right we but but what's more is that we don't have the ability for our heart to change unless we allow god's 
and invite God's presence through this desire for him to, to change us. And so... So how's that related to being born again? Right, right. Being baptized or having the Holy Spirit given to you. So well, you he, and I say change of heart, right? right? What we're saying is being born again, being born, being born, again, born of the right, Spirit. Right, and, and and have this desire to not be carnal and, and sinful. And, mm-hmm. and so what's interesting is that it, this question that we're kind of taking up in the podcast, really... The question starts before that. I mean, I want to I want to answer this question, but I want to back up a little bit because you know some people can say, well, can does being baptized mean you're born again? And so, you know, that kind of even precedes this. And so, if we look at this most famous story in the Book of Mormon, Alma story, I think this story of Alma's being born again is probably the in the top three most important messages I think we get from the Book of Mormon, it's in the top three that that we have overlooked. In fact, it's, it's one of the most important things, and it's also one of the most significant things mm-hmm. we've overlooked, is that we as a people have missed this point. No, my heart has to change. I have to be born again. This is the requirement. And the kingdom doesn't come to anyone else, right? It doesn't come to people who, I don't want to change. You know? Right. So you could walk down into the waters of baptism, and then you could sit there and have the, quote, confirmation or or baptism of the Holy Spirit done yeah. to you. And if you've never in your heart desired to repent, then that's not going to do anything for your salvation. And that's the point, is that it comes, it, it, and that's where Alma's story, while it's not written in the text, you know, you think of this, his dad was the one who instigated, Alma Sr. instigates baptism, right, in the wilderness. And we get these these famous accounts after he departs wicked King Noah's courts after hearing a Benedite's message. And, and now Noah wants to kill Alma Sr. for for siding with the Benedite, and Alma goes into the wilderness baptizing these people. Well, what did the and then he sets the church in order in Zarahemla. I mean, Alma's like you know the head pastor, right? Uh, and so, what are the chances that his son Alma Jr. probably wasn't baptized and everything? Well, he probably was. I mean, and that's where I'm saying we don't get that in the text. But what's interesting is that the book of Alma that we read now is Alma Jr.'s story of his missionary efforts and his own personal messages to his sons after his conversion. And the interesting thing in all that text, I don't think I've ever read where he talks about the day he was, quote, baptized in water, although it had to have happened. What he continually talks about is the day when he was born again, when he says, I was in the darkest, worst place, and I called out on this name of Jesus, and all of a sudden things turned around for me. And that's what he keeps coming back to in his story to everybody, how you must be born again. That's why like Alma chapter three is all full of these questions. Hey, do you see Christ's image in your countenance? You know, because these are the signs that the change has happened. And so, so what he draws everyone's mind to is this, and this is why I say this is one of the most important things we've overlooked is because, you know, this, this even, it's all for naught. I don't want to say this trumps baptism. I don't want to say that. I don't want to categorize it that way. But I just want to say that if this doesn't occur, everything else is for naught, right? If we don't, if we don't feel this, I, I want to be different. I don't want to be, you know, drawn into the world, right? And and so that maybe comes on different levels for everyone. And I'm not saying everyone has to be knocked down by an angel and have this huge transformation where they can say this is the moment it happened. You know, some people are, are just inherently, I just I just know I love Jesus and I want to follow him. That means you're born again too, right? You know, it's just this 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 attitude you have in life. Right. And just just like if you um 
you can go into the water and be baptized, and and if in your heart you're just trying to please your parents or your church congregation, but you have no desire to put God first, that's not going to do anything to save you. On the other hand, if you really want to follow God, if you really want to give him your all and 100%, and you've had that, sometimes you could call it a born-again experience, like something happened and you're changed and you're all in, or if you just have that desire to be all in, but you know you're still struggling with sin, but you've got that desire, the first step is to be baptized and then to have that gift of the Holy Spirit given to you as a helper to guide you to all truth. And so God says, if that's your desire, come to me, be born again, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to to guide you and to, to bring you to all truth. So you can't have one without the other. You've got to have the desire and if you have the desire, you have to go through the you, process you, you set up. Gate, right. And what was the New Testament? Uh, was it Philip? Uh, We're getting there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'll leave it. No, 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 because I, I, that's exactly the point is that Plenty of we, examples. we want to muddy the waters, in fact, with a little history and, sure. and, and show how this all works. Because, no, uh, just keep keep going, Mike. I mean, everything you're saying, I, I, I love it. Well, there's a... I'm going to leave out specifics because you all know my recall is uh, it's in there, but the specific eh, a little muddy sometimes. So sometimes I create my own. So uh, there's a missionary in the New Testament. I think it was Philip, but he's going around and and preaching the gospel and and basically saying I I can baptize you with water, but I I can't give you the spirit that that'll come from the other uh, people that, so maybe he had a different office of, you know, maybe he was a priest or he didn't have the Melchizedek or, or what, whatever we call it back then to give the the gift of the spirit. But certainly there were men that were ordained by Jesus and, and called of God to do that. You know, I was just reading in one of these uh, lost books of the Bible this morning that uh, I like to just kind of check history sometimes against those and just see, hey, does what we believe and does those messages add anything to it? Well, it's interesting because one of these lost books of the Bible talks about when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and it, and it didn't just call him John the Baptist. It called him this little hermit. That's the exact phrase it used, <laughs> this little hermit. And so I, I think of that in context that, you know, John the Baptist, he was he was revered among the people as being a spiritual man, but to, to everyone else, he just seemed like maybe he's just this little diminutive little guy or something. But nevertheless, what's what's interesting, this is another precedent. Consider that John the Baptist physically lays Jesus down in the water by hands of man, and just like hands of man would kill Jesus, right? But it was not hands of man that gave Jesus, the Holy Ghost. After his baptism, he says, I saw the Holy Ghost descending like a dove on Jesus. Now, it wasn't that a bird landed on him. I've heard people say that before. It was. It, it appeared like this bird coming down and, and, and inhabiting him. But this point is that the Holy Ghost came from God. That was God's baptism of this in this moment. You know, man, man did the work of the water baptism, uh, and then, and there's a lot of symbolism there, of course, which, you know, again, we've, we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about, but, but I want to draw this point out is in that moment, no human gave Jesus the Holy ghost. It, it came from heaven, right? And it came down. Well, well, what's important about that? It's, it's several things. One is that we, our process is, is correct. I believe where we say, Hey, you have to come in faith and you have to repent and then the Book of Mormon even adds saying you have to demonstrate fruit meat for repentance. In other words, you can't just say, hey, I want to be baptized, that they would 
pretty much demand that, no, demonstrate to us that you don't want to be a sinner anymore, right? And they, it, this, the Book of Mormon says in many places, hey, none were received in the baptism unless they had shown forth fruit, meat for repentance. You know, they, they, they kind of said, hey, there's a narrow gate, and you're going to even confess your sins or whatever. Um, that isn't so much emphasized in our day now, but I, and I won't even comment on that, but, but what the process was is that, you know, the water baptism came first, and then the baptism of the Holy Ghost came second. And that, by humans, was given. Jesus gives authority both in the Bible and the Book of Mormon to humans to bestow the Holy Ghost. But what's interesting, this comes back to Jesus, um, when the fact that the Holy Ghost is still God's gift to give. I mean, he gives through the authority of the church. Now, authority's the, the word that really deserves some attention, but but through God conferring authority upon priesthood has also said you also have the ability to bestow the Holy Ghost. But what's interesting is jumping to two stories. One of them is in the uh, book of Acts, chapter 10, and the other one's in the book of Mormon, Helaman, chapter 2. In, in the in the New Testament, you find something that happens out of what we would say is out of order, and then we think, is this possible? Peter's preaching, and in the 10th chapter of Acts, this reads the same in the inspired version of the King James. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, he's, he's preaching to uh, a group of people, and there are Jews, they were people who are you know, of the old ways of the law, and there are Gentiles, or people who weren't part of this process at all. But they're listening to Peter, and he's preaching by the power of the Holy Ghost, and it says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. So everyone in the congregation or the outdoor gathering is, is touched by, and not just touched by, they're, they're like enveloped by the, the Holy Ghost. Then verse 45 says, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. That's just a way of saying the old Jews of the circumcision. These were the people of the law. So, so these Jews who had been part of this law, and maybe they were converted already to, to Jesus now, they were like amazed that everyone had received this Holy Ghost in this gathering. And, and as many as came with Peter were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what they're astonished at is these people who weren't part of the covenant of the house of Israel, all of a sudden they can see the Holy Ghost is upon them. Now it doesn't say what's happening. Are they, you know, are they healing each other, or are they just happy, or are they speaking in tongues? And, you know, there's different congregations of the world now that kind of emphasize different aspects of what does it mean when the Holy Ghost is present. This doesn't really uh, go into it a lot, but it does say in verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, speaking with tongues and speaking with the voice of angels, Nephi goes into that. Speaking with tongues didn't always even mean that they were speaking in a different language either. And I'm not here to belabor that, but the point is a change happened. That's, this is, this is the point of the scripture is that all of a sudden they see, see instantly in this moment, these people who are just listening before all of a sudden are changed and they're glorifying God. All right. Then Peter says this in verse 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. So he asks an important question. He's saying, hey, these guys have already been baptized by the Holy Ghost. Why shouldn't they be baptized in water? So the process is reversed. Here, here we have people who have heard this 
word of God, and it changed them on the spot instantly. So they're bringing forth fruits, meat of repentance. In in the moment, in, yeah, in that so very moment. Yeah, so they're saying, well, why not, bap- you know, they're ready to be baptized. But. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and he can he can see that these people have already been baptized by the Holy Ghost. And, and so this brings up a, an interesting question. It isn't, see, we get a little bit of this backwards in our thinking that thinking, well, isn't water baptism enough? The whole point is that, I, th- I think what makes us God's church is that our spirit has changed, not just that we went down in the water, but that we receive this gift of the Holy Ghost. If And this is kind of just more my opinion, but I think the number one criteria that makes us God's church is those who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, Those who, because that is what accompanies the change of heart. Born of the Spirit. Right, right. You have to be born of the Spirit. And and born being born of the water is the part that, it's highly symbolic. It, it initiates this covenant. You're you're making a statement that yeah, I want to do it. It's it's just like it's just like marriages. You know, a lot of people can say, well, I don't, uh, you know, I guess I'm married because you know we're living together. And I mean, maybe this is a poor example, but the point is, you know, if you don't come in at the gate and make that covenant, you know, at an altar and and you confess and you exchange the vows and all that stuff, you're not married. Okay, as much as you want to say it is, just because two people cohabit under the same roof, that's not the same as being married. It might look like marriage, right? But it isn't. Yeah, unless it's the covenant that makes it. Well, well, God says, you know, the the water baptism is is where you first initiate that covenant. He initiates. He responds rather by giving you this power, this extra power of his to help keep you on that straight and narrow path, to keep you walking, to, to, to agitate you when you're confronted by temptation, right? To, to give you even a greater awareness. And there's more to that. Or, you know, you touched on this before. It's like we struggle for words because we can't put into human words what this powerful gift is. We can kind of describe it and things that we can relate to, but it's, it's more than that. I don't think, you know, the longest sermon in the world isn't ever going to fully capture what the Holy Ghost is, right? We can we get glimpses of it, but God says it's the thing that makes it's it allows you to return to me. It allows you to change that change of heart, and otherwise you might have judgment. But the full change happens with the Holy Ghost. So these people are changed. They're not water baptized, but then in that moment, in verse forty-eight, we get everything. Uh, you know, forty-five, forty-six. They're they're changed by the Holy Ghost. 47, he announces, "Hey, these people need to be baptized." And in forty-eight, he says, "He commanded them." to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they they prayed then and they tarried certain days. So then he sends them all out to be baptized in water after they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, that's kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this whole thing, uh, it's, it's just as compelling when we look at the Book of Mormon and find out this was the same, not to go through the whole story, but people are usually familiar with the sons of Helaman named Lehi, and Nephi, who lived just shortly before the time of Jesus' appearance in in the uh, New World here, and in that situation, the the prison guards who were about to kill Nephi and Lehi until they were surrounded by fire, all of a sudden they're surrounded by this same fire. And in this story, this is from Helaman chapter two, uh, one oh six. This story is about as quick in terms of the change, as we just read in Acts 10, you have Gentiles who hear the word, they're changed instantly, they're demonstrating the fact that the Holy Ghost is present, whatever that means, and then they, they get baptized. Well, in Helaman 2, you know, you go from guards who are bloodthirsty murderers wanting to kill these missionaries, who all of a sudden are encircled by this, but then they 
have this cloud of darkness and it's scaring them. And their question is this, verse 106, what shall we do that this cloud of darkness may be removed from overshadowing us? Now, that's not just a moment in the prison. This is the essence of our life right here. And and this this essence of our life, and I think you were talking, Mike, and your and your your microphone was off. Um, did you want to talk to that? No, just agreeing, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the okay. whole the whole cloud over your life, right? It's, it's exactly, and that's what we have to see this as: is we're all under this cloud of darkness. So we can ask God the same question: What can I do that this cloud of darkness might be removed from overshadowing me? Um, and Aminadab said to them, you must repent and cry under the voice until you have faith in Christ, which was taught by Alma and Amulek and Zizram. And when you do this, the cloud of darkness shall be removed from overshadowing you. So here's another life. Read that process again. You must repent, cry unto the voice until... You have faith in Christ. Until you have faith in Christ. That's that's. So I think we may have talked about that scripture again, but that's starting at the very bottom of the barrel. You you may not even feel like you have faith, so all you can do is cry into the, I love that, the voice. The voice. Cry into the voice. Yeah. Cry into the being that uh, until you have faith. Yeah, yeah. And this- so that's, see, that's the author. That's, that's. It's not you. It's like you're crying until until he comes and helps your faith, and you have faith in Christ. But you have to you have to receive that from from him by the Spirit, not not your own doing. And that comes back to this uh, definition of broken and contrite, like we talked about, where the ultimate definition was being like a helpless child, right? Who can only call out and hope that someone comes and helps. You know, that little infant, the only tool it's got in the world is to cry, right? And then and someone responds. And that's that's what it is with God. He's saying, that's like you said, cry into the voice until you have faith in Christ. And then, so what happens? Then it says, the darkness will be removed from overshadowing you. That's interesting that the darkness, you know, begins to be removed. And it came to pass, verse 108, that they all did begin to cry under the voice of him which had shook the earth. Yea, they did cry even until the cloud of darkness was dispersed. So they're sitting there all calling out to God, to, to Jesus. You know, maybe it was in their memory. They had heard these other missionaries and they had rejected their words. But all of a sudden the darkness is dispersed. And it came to pass when they cast their eyes about and saw that the cloud of darkness was dispersed from overshadowing them. Behold, they saw that they were encircled about, yea, every soul by a pillar of fire. So all of a sudden the darkness is replaced with light, right? I mean, flames too, right? But then Lehi and Nephi in the midst of them encircled, you know, and they were filled with joy, which is unspeakable and full of glory. So this this process goes from being a terrible torment and fear to calling on Jesus until they had faith, and this brings an immediate change. The, the, there's light, there's fire, there's unspeakable joy and glory. And now, and now to these unbaptized prison guard Lamanites who were moments away from killing Lehi and Nephi, now it says this, and behold, the Holy Spirit of God did come down from heaven and did enter into their hearts. And they were filled as if with fire. So the fire was around them physically, in a sense, and now the fire is within them spiritually. And they could 
speak forth marvelous words. So the same thing in Acts 10. They magnified God. They spoke, it says in tongues. These marvelous words all of a sudden show that something changed in them, in their heart and in their soul. Thank you.